You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. This is the All Access Legends podcast. Our next guest is a three-time Kodak All-American, two-time recipient of the Wade Trophy, three-time All-American. She was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1996 and Women's Hall of Fame in 1999. Nancy Lieberman, welcome to the All-Access Legends podcast brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. We are thrilled to have you on the show today. It's good to be here with you. Yes. um, So you enjoyed a pretty remarkable career, I must say. Um, You're known around the leagues uh, as a true pioneer in women's basketball. Um, how do you use that platform to successfully promote the causes that mean the most to you? Well, when you play the game of basketball, uh, when you're starting, you're very selfish because you're just focused on establishing yourself, you know, learning what you need to do to try and get yourself, your team, to the, the next level. And then you get a point of clarity once you're comfortable with your accomplishments and you realize you're a gatekeeper. And you have to do things that better the game, as they say, you know, make the game better mm-hmm. than how you found it yeah. when you got there. So you want to grow the game, uh, whether it's more fans, uh, whether it's revenue, whether it's it's winning, whether it's just showing people that this is this game of basketball is so enjoyable and we love it so much. And we want to we want to share that with the with the fans and. We just want to take it to a different level with, with everything with exposure. And um, and then you want to kind of put your thumbprint on the history of the game. What did you do? I mean, how did you leave it? Did you make it harder for players behind you to play at a, a certain level? Mm-hmm. And that's the competitor in us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so kind of starting at the beginning of the career, how did you get into basketball as a kid? Um, and were your parents supportive of your decision? For me, playing basketball, uh, my family was not very supportive. I mean, I'm a kid from the 70s, and mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't Title IX or gender equity, and I got tired of the neighbors saying, you know, Miss Lieberman, what's wrong with your daughter? Why is she in the schoolyard playing with black kids? And I didn't know at the time that I was taking on a social cause. I didn't know that I was changing a culture of what people would say or not say. I was very comfortable with the kids that I was competing against because I trusted them. They trusted me. There was blind faith. Mm-hmm. And it was truly about street cred. You know, can you play or can you not play? But, you know, with people in the 70s, I think, especially being a, a little girl from New York, people couldn't understand why I was playing sports. But it made me happy. It made me feel good about myself. It built my confidence and my self-esteem. And quite frankly, I liked when people said, We'll take the girl. We want her on our team. Or Nancy, we got you. You know, when we were choosing teams, yeah. it just it just made me feel good about myself instead of the people that were saying, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're never going to make anything of yourself, why are you playing? I didn't want to be around those people. And how was that to be the only girl, you know, in these playing mostly with males? I was just used to it. I, I, didn't, I didn't ever think of myself as being the only girl. 
that became later in life when people started saying, well, she's the only girl who did this, or she's the youngest player on the Olympic team, or that, that was other people putting labels on me. I never saw it like that. I just was happy to be in the park playing basketball. I was happy to go to Rucker Park and be asked to play in tournaments. Th that's all that mattered to me is that people respected me for my hard work and it gave me something to work for, to strive for. I wanted to be at another level, but the, the mitigating factor of my whole life and my whole career is I was never afraid. And that was something that, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to say Muhammad Ali, who was my hero, mm -hmm. became my friend at 19 and was with me till the day he died. And he would always implore me to never be afraid, to, you know, respect everybody and fear nobody. And I lived with that as a young person. So it didn't matter if you were 6'8 and black and I was 5'10 and white and a woman. It didn't matter because I thought I was just as good as you. But that was because of what what he was giving me, you know, mentally and emotionally, you know, he was teaching me how to believe in me and how to love me. That's awesome. Um, so then at 17 years old, you're named to the U.S. Olympic roster, and you're the youngest person by three years. What was it like to be the youngest player? And I guess that goes back to, you know, you know, being the only girl, you know, amongst all these guys. Similar thing, you're the youngest you know, woman on the team. Well, people look at 76, and it's easy to say, well, I was still in high school when I played in the Olympics. But it really started in 74 when there was a tryout. It was almost like America's have talent, America mm -hmm. has talent, yeah. and there were four tryouts around the country. The, the Russians were playing the U.S. women's team in a, a, a three-game series. So they were unearthing talent. So I go to this tryout at Queens College, and there were 250 girls. I was 15 years old. And I was one of 10 that got selected from that tryout at Queens to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So 40 girls, women, mm -hmm. from each of those four uh, you know, regionals went. And of those 40, I ended up making it into the training camp with the U.S. The, the, mm -hmm. I mean, with Pat Summit, with Ann Myers, really with the greats of the greats of the game, and yeah. I was a baby. Yeah. And I had my ribs broken, ended up going home, and I'm in the car with Alberta Cox, who's the coach of the U.S. team in 74. And she looks at me, and I'm sitting in the back seat, and I'm straight in New York here, and she goes, now, Nancy, you know, you go home and you work on your game because we're going to need you in 1980. And I looked at her. I said, Coach, like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or nothing, but, like, I'm not, like, that stupid. Like, I know 76 comes before 80, and I'm going to be on that 76 team, so you better get used to me. And she was just like, excuse me? I said, no, I'm going to be on that 76 team. And I went home, and that was, again, somebody saying you can't. And I always quote, you know, Eminem, I am what I say I am. You yeah. don't get to tell me what I am. And... Every time somebody has said to me in my life, you can't, that I flip it. You know, when somebody says no, I flip it and go, it's on. Yeah. It's on. I'm, I'm going to put in the hard work, and that's how I felt. And it might sound, however it sounds, you know, Muhammad Ali says, if you're good, it ain't bragging. But I, I just wanted to prove to people. So then at 16, 17, making the, the Pan Am team, we won the gold medal and then making the Olympic team as a senior in high school. So there was a buildup okay. 
to making that Olympic team. It didn't just like miraculously yeah. happen. A lot of hard work and, and, and passion there. Yes. So, perfect. Kind of moving along here, you uh, attended Old Dominion um, and you basically dominated the record books there. Um, talk to us about that experience. What challenges do you, did you experience, you know, during your college days because you just played in USA, but, you know, you had all that experience before college? Well, playing on the Olympic team with some of the greatest players now, yeah. Hall of Famers, uh, there's five or six Hall of Famers that were on that 76 team. I learned a lot. I mean, I had to guard Pat, Pat Summit and Myers every day in practice. Then People don't even know. To, to, you know. People don't even know that Pat Summit played they mm -hmm. just think yeah. of her as the a basketball coach, coach. Yeah. I mean she was like country strong you know from Henrietta Tennessee mm -hmm. and I had to deal with these guys every single day so when I got to college and I was very lucky because as I said I, I could not have afforded to go to college without a scholarship so I'm lucky that I'm on that the, the cusp of that title nine mm -hmm. and to be able to get a scholarship because people shortly before me didn't get that opportunity so I decided that I wanted to go to a school that nobody ever heard of. People were like, go to UCLA, go to Delta State, go to... All the big names. The, the big name schools. And I'm like, no, like, I'm an underdog. And so Old Dominion was like 6 and 28 the year before I got there. We go to Old Dominion, everybody's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, no, we're going to go, you know, we're going to win Just some championships. Right. They're like, you can't even win games. <laughs> so our first year we go, uh, in, there were seven freshmen, and we're in the locker room. And we kind of made a pact in the locker room. I said, I'm taking Debbie Richards' job. Ing, who's, and we made a pact that we were going to take somebody's job That's who awesome. was an upperclassman. And again, now we're creating a mentality of, how, of what we're going to do. Yeah. So we, we go 23 and 9. We're in the top 10. My second year, we go 30 and 4. We win the NIT. My third year, we go 37-1, win our first championship, and then my senior year, we went, we go 35-1 and win back-to-back. -back. I mean, we're 100, I think we're 104 and 6 my last three years. Pretty I good. mean, you compare that to, to Gino, and yeah. we, we sucked. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, compare anyone to him. Uh, but, you know, to win back-to-back -back national championships, and we were women's basketball. See, this is what people don't know. Old Dominion University was women's basketball before Connecticut, before Tennessee. I mean, Pat was coming to us and going, how are you playing this, in this sold-out field house? You know, we would sell it out six, 7,000 yeah. every game that we played. We were like America's team. Wherever we went, the media, everybody wanted Friends. to see, you know, we were high scoring. We had amazing players. So we didn't just play the game. Again, we, we were game changers in women's basketball because we gave people vision of what you could be. I guess so you could say that it was a, a success. I, I think Definitely so. Definitely a success. So then in 1980, you graduated from college, and you kind of you know, decided to pursue your professional career. Um, so you, you played for you know, the WBL, the USBL. So then in 1997, you know, the creation of the WNBA, um, and you're the oldest player in the NBA, WNBA. What, what was it like to uh, play your first professional game in the WNBA? And kind of what was that period like between when you graduated college and then kind of 1997 when the WNBA started? When I graduated from Old Dominion in 1980, I knew there was a women's pro league. So there was something, you know, we all need a carrot in front of us. So mm -hmm. I knew the WBL was there, and I was uh, the first draft pick uh, mm -hmm. in the league by the Dallas Diamonds. 
so we go and, and the Diamonds, uh, we lost in, in the finals, the third game, uh, to the Nebraska Wranglers, and then the league folded. But prior to me getting to Dallas, I was playing in an NBA uh, summer league in New York City at Xavier High School and with a bunch of NBA guys. And Jane Pauley does an interview with me, what's it like? Well, unbeknownst to me, Jerry West and Dr. Buss see the interview. So like two days later, I'm in my house with my mom and my mother goes, Nancy, there's some man on the phone. He says his name is Jerry West. <laughs> and I'm like, he's on the phone? Why is he calling me? <laughs> yeah. And Jerry calls me and he goes, Nancy, you know, Jerry West, Los Angeles Lakers, we'd like for you to play summer league for us. Uh, we have a, a new coach. He's, uh, he's the assistant, but he's going to coach summer league. Mm-hmm. His, his yeah. name is Pat Riley. And Paul Westhead is our coach. And so I fly out there. Okay. It, Pat did not want me. On the team, and, and it's a funny story. Thirty years later, because I, in his mind's eye, I did not look like the point guard he had anticipated. Right? Yeah, yeah. Perception is reality. Yeah. Well, I guess Dr. Bus and and Jerry West said to him, "She'll be here tomorrow. Introduce her to her <laughs> teammates." Didn't give them a choice. Didn't give them a choice. So, I show up, and it's very cold. The reception. And I get into practice, the legendary three-hour Pat Riley practices. Mm -hmm. And every time Pat would say, okay, I need five guys on the court, you know, to run a drill, I walk on the court. And he'd just kind (laughs) of look at me like, like, you don't know what I want, but neither do they. So I go out on the court, and I figured uh, I'll run the drill. If I screw up, he'll coach me up. I'll understand what he wants. I'll get repetition. And then I'd walk off the court, and I'm like, hey, if you don't know how to run that, I do. I'll I'll be able to walk you through it. Four days later, I'm their starting point guard. And Pat tells this story that he's in the locker room with the coaches after practice one day, and he goes, who the heck is she? She she acts like she's 6'8 and black. She acts like she's the best player on the team. And we beat the crap out of her for three hours, and she tried to start two fist fights. And we laugh about it now, but that's actually what happened. And it, those moments toughened me up uh, to play in the WABA when we, the Diamonds mm-hmm. won the championship or to play in the USBL for two years, uh, which was a men's league mm-hmm. uh, with the Springfield fame and the Long Island Knights. You know, my teammate was Michael Ray Richardson and Jeff Houston. I played against Tyrone Bogues when nobody else wanted to guard him. So then I thought, okay, I'm never going to get to play against women and show my true talent. And then God bless David Stern and the WNBA. And to be able to play at 3940 uh, for the Phoenix Mercury. And I remember going out that first day. And I had chills in U.S., you know, it was American Airlines Arena at the time. And Gladys Knight was singing the national anthem, and she came up to me before the game. She goes, I am so proud of you. I'm, I was like, thank you so much. And I'm looking at Ann Myers calling the game, Hall of Famer. She's not playing. I'm looking at my coach, Cheryl Miller, Hall of Famer. She's not playing. How lucky am I at 39 to be on that court, knowing Seriously. that I was going to play into my 40s? It was and, and seeing my, my family there and seeing my son TJ in my jersey, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget that. I'm so grateful to the NBA 
for starting the WNBA and every athlete that's ever played the last 21 years in the WNBA owes a debt of gratitude to David Stern and now to Adam Silver uh, for believing in us and giving us a platform. Awesome. Great story. Um, so I guess my last question for you is uh, what's next? You know, for Nancy Lieberman, you, you've had such an incredible career. You've gone through so much and kind of, you you know, retired players and advocating on their behalf is very important to you. So, so what's next for, for you? Well, it's a great question. You know, coaching in the NBA uh, the last couple of years with the Sacramento Kings as an assistant um, was amazing. Just to be able to be in the trenches every day with some of the greatest players and opponents, uh, quite frankly, and to marvel at the, the skill level and how they approach the game. You know, and me stepping down uh, last year because my mom has been sick mm-hmm. and you have to have no regrets in life. You know, right now, now I'm not saying I'll never coach again, you know, but I have to be there for my mom. She's 88. But certainly my time and my energy and effort with the NBRPA, you know, making sure that, you know, we're growing in the direction uh, that our leadership wants to be able, you know, to, to make sure that, you know, Scott Rochelle, our, our CEO, president, um, has a board that's behind him and pushing him and challenging him to continue to create and solidify relationships with the PA and the NBA. We have a chance to do a lot of things for a lot of players who don't even know what we're doing for them yet because they're in the moment, and that's okay. Exactly. But, you know, have an impact on current players but also make sure that players that are retired know that we're there, we're for them. And if we're for them, no one can be against them. And that we can help them with education, with programming, with, with you know, getting an MBA, uh, increasing their knowledge with business, uh, getting out in the community and, and helping kids with our full court press program, getting cardiac screening, make sure, making sure our guys are, and gals are healthy. And, you know, just, just knowing that we, we, we are a team. Mm-hmm. We're not individuals. We are still a team at the NBRPA. And we're, we're a super team now because we have the PA and the NBA as our teammates. The All Access Legends podcast is brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. 